is a box, a musical box, wound up and ready to play. Can you guess what is in it today? It's box 39. We present Holding Back the Beers, our tribute to the veteran broadcaster, philanthropist and activist, Bill Lawrence. This is Bill's own story, told by those who knew him and worked with him. Although we have tried to contact him on several occasions for the making of this documentary, but he refused to return any of our emails or answer the door to us. Join us on this Box 39 special as we trace those key moments and music in our journey through the life of Bill Lawrence. What's in the box? What's in the box? Hello, I'm Adrian Cohen. You will probably remember me as Keith Chegwin's sidekick on the first series of Cheggers Plays Pop, and as the barman in over 60 episodes of the award-winning TV series Inspector Morse. I first met Bill Lawrence when we set sail together into the world of show business on board Radio Caroline in 1979, the pirate radio station that also launched the careers of Annika Rice and David Dimbleby. Within just six months, Bill's breakfast show characters of Nobby the Postman and Randy the Milkman had already won him the coveted Prix de Dunkirk for the funniest comedy handovers to the Next Radio Programme Award, when Bill suddenly decided on a dramatic change in his career. He was leaving Radio Caroline in the shadows of Clacton Pier, but not to join Noel and Scylla for the glittering future in 1980's Saturday Night TV, but instead he was headed for dim sum, pandas, and a new branch of show business. Because Bill had secured the position of Deputy Assistant Manager for the groundbreaking Wham! Tour of China in 1984. Beijing, here we come. And within a year, Bill had launched his own career as a promoter in music tours to areas never opened up to the British music industry before. With the best of the talent of the early 1980s, Bill put on the legendary Kosovo Peace Concert headlined by Queen and the groundbreaking Bucks Fizz Stadium tour of Rhodesia. Here, Bill chats whilst on a cycling visit to the ancient Chinese city of Xi'an during a few rest days on the tour when the boys from Wham had taken a well-earned spa break. So, um, here I am going for a bike ride. It's a lovely sunny afternoon on a Tuesday in April. The only difference is when I'm cycling on my bike along the city walls in Xi'an, in China. City walls have been here for the last 800 to 1,000 years. They're 16 metres high and about 20 metres across. And I'm on a bike with loads of other people cycling along the length of this wall, over 40 kilometres. So on the inside of the city, right up this height, I can see lower housing, but plenty of it. Factories, blue tin roofs, asbestos roofs, and tile roofs, of course. Every so often, the sort of music 
plays that even my producer wouldn't have chosen for a piece like this. And about every 30 meters, there is an, a street lamp with the dragon holding a three-tiered red silk lampshade with tassels. Now looking out of the city walls, of course, I'm surrounded by high-rise blocks rising high into the air, some 30, even 40 stories high. My tour guide said, of course, that I could see from where I started, in a straight line, I should be able to see the bell tower on the far side of the city. He said, if the smog isn't there. Now, this is my third visit to Xi'an and my third visit to China. And I have to say, there's never been a day where the smog has not been here. So many of these tall buildings in the distance, part of banks, insurance companies, but also a lot of it residential property, lie in a hazy, misty fog. Although there appears to be a blue sky above, there's very little shadow below. As I'm cycling along, not only are there people on these bikes, and the bikes are ubiquitous red bikes or yellow bikes, that's your choice, but many people walking along as well. There's a tuk-tuk passing me now, delivering food to the cafe, and at the cafe, your choice of foods are meal, coffee or tea. The meal itself seemed to be a plate full of noodles uh, with something that probably looked like beef and some nice chilli peppers. A typical Shan, nice spicy food uh, in this part of China. So cycling here, uh, I would say even though this is a Tuesday afternoon, there are many hundreds of bicycles, people out for a stroll. Um, because I am slightly unusual uh, being a middle-aged uh, European man, grey hair, white hair, balding and overweight, I'm a bit of a rarity. And as I cycle along, uh, the mobile phones are rather unsurreptitiously produced and my snapshot taken. I received many smiles and even the occasional wave from little babies encouraged by their parents to wave at that funny old westerner on his bicycle. Uh, on the left now, as I'm looking on the inside, I can see some narrow streets where uh, there's a market going on, there's vegetables laid out on the floor. Uh, the pak choy seems to have been, I can see that from here. There is a traffic jam, of course. Wouldn't be a Chinese town without a traffic jam. And I'm here a great time of year because all the way along here, on the inside of the wall, that high that I'm driving at, or cycling at, are just wonderful blossoms. Cherry blossoms. Pinks, light pinks, dark pinks, even crimsons and the most beautiful beautiful display as far as I can see so this is me signing off I'm your last spurt to beat my students and appear as though I am fitter than them not that there's any competition of course there's a tandem pulled out right in front of me there causing me to uh, swerve to the right suddenly as I am recording this with one hand on one handlebar and one hand on the recorder. So, assuming I don't fall over, I'm hit by another bike, or uh, in some way I don't lose my balance, I'll be hit by this tuk-tuk which seems to be being driven by a man who's talking on a different mobile phone in each ear at the moment. Uh, I shall be back in the studio soon, and this is the end of my cycling journey in Xi'an, in China.
Yes, I gotta have faith. the 1970s and 1980s, Bill Lawrence also enjoyed playing bass in his own blues and rock bands. There were impromptu late-night jam sessions at Ronnie Scott's most Sundays, as long as he didn't have to get up early the next morning. And for the cool kids of those Soho beat clubs and coffee bars, it came as no surprise when he recorded uncredited on many studio albums. At one point, he spent three months in an isolation tank unit at Kate Bush's farmhouse recording studio, but was unable to find sufficient truth in his music to finish recording his own solo album, backed by his friends, musicians like Ronnie Wood, Jules Holland and Sheena Easton. And for one very special track, he was joined by Michael Aspel, one of the country's most accomplished yet unappreciated blues harp players. And it was during these long recording sessions that Bill and Aspel spoke of the politics of communism and the American Imperial War in the jungles and rivers of Vietnam. Before the album could be finished, Bill had packed his bag, donned his Afghan coat and freshly ironed cheesecloth shirt and was heading for Asia. Quickly finding his abilities as an orator, his anti-American rhetoric soon acquired a mass following amongst those living in the shadow of Apocalypse Now. Establishing his own business headquarters in the capital city, Jogjakarta, in the monkey-rich East Asian island of Java, Bill's consultancy business was now the world leader in helping clients to foment revolutions across Southeast Asia. Here, Bill describes his daily rail commute to the Javanese city of Solo each weekday morning in an appearance from 1996 on the British television programme Russell Harty's Asian Revolutions. Untuk keselamatan Anda, tetaplah berada di tempat duduk sampai kereta berhenti dengan sempurna. Terima kasih atas kepercayaan Anda menggunakan jasa layanan kereta api Indonesia. I'm heading north on a train from Yogyakarta to Solo. The journey will take me about an hour. The train's rattling through the countryside and it's been raining. There's been a heavy burst of rain, but with this humidity it's not surprising. We stopped at a suburb of Jogjakarta, but now it's non-stop through to Solo. As I pass the rice fields, they're a patchwork of smaller fields, subdivided, with the rice at different levels of production and growth. Along the edges are dotted bright yellow flowers, big blooms against the green of the banana leaves of the banana trees and bamboo. And occasionally the train is passing through a small village. Along the track from each small village runs a, a small tarmac road, no wider than a car. And alongside the track is a telephone line and electricity line. As we rattle through these villages, of course there are level crossings and the uh, inevitable pile of motorbikes waiting for the train to pass face towards me as I face towards them. They're wearing Rainmax, plastic Rainmax, brightly coloured because of the showers of rain that we have had. I'm passing now small piles of wood gently cooking into 
charcoal. I can see a, a little school I've passed by with children running right alongside the railway line. Motorbikes seem to be the most common form of transport around here. In fact, I can't imagine in many of these tiny little roads that run alongside the railway that you could get a, a car uh, along them. They're too narrow. Apart from the roofs made of corrugated iron, there are small red thin bricks of these walls and the red tiles overlapping each other ridged tiles on a very steep angle to let the rain that comes in vast torrents pour off as quickly as possible into wide drainage ditches to take the, the surge of water that can regularly appear for 10 minutes, 15, 20 minutes every day before the return of the, the very, very warm sun. Ladies and gentlemen, in a few minutes, Lodaya will arrive in Solo Balapan, the last destination station. Please prepare your belongings. We remind you to stay in your seat until the train stops. The basic mechanics of life can be seen in each village as we pass. At one end, at the edges, you'll see the refuse, the waste. Whether it's plastic, vast swathes of plastic, but more likely piles of the husks of coconuts. And then you've got the cemeteries uh, to the edge of the town, to the rice fields. You've got very small little workshops for maintaining uh, the motorbikes that are prevalent absolutely everywhere. You have the mosque, or maybe more than one. Small shops with banners and pictures on the banners, of, of, of canvas banners, with uh, pictures of fried chicken, rice, and at the edges, uh, the big wide fronds of banana plants. Thank you for using our services, and see you on the next trip. Just might find mm. Mm. You get what you need 
1988, Bill took a sabbatical from his business empire when he moved to the research laboratories at Cambridge University, where he had been invited to head up a team put together by Richard Branson to find the most profitable, ethically tested cure for the common cold. Such a challenging medical environment meant that Bill was not the only young stag in the highly biomedically stained laboratories. He soon found himself working alongside a young doctor, Robert Winston. Within weeks, the two men were locked in a battle to be the one who would enter the history books victorious in finding the first cure for the common cold. Bill and Winston worked late each and every night, pushing the boundaries of medical knowledge further every day, perhaps after every hour. It was no surprise, said colleagues, that their rivalry would lead these two men to such a shocking climax. Some stories differ, but what is commonly agreed by those passing journalists who witnessed the events on the 23rd of November 1988 is that a scuffle broke out between Bill and Winston in the saloon bar of the Baron of Beef on the banks of the River Cam in Cambridge. In the court the next day, Winston pleaded guilty to a fray and to the theft of two large pub ashtrays. Bill never returned to that or any other research laboratory. He told friends that his heart was no longer in it, and he was moving on to new adventures. At the central police station that night was another man brought in on false charges, and Bill immediately struck up a friendship with him. This new friend was to become the financial director of Bill's global broadcasting media and salmon fishing empire. This man was Lord David Price. This is Walk the Walk and Talk the Talk, broadcasting live this week with Bill Lawrence. <laughs> Sorry, we, we had to park the car 20 yards away uh, so that we wouldn't get seen because we want to surprise Bill. We've come to his house. Hang on. Just got up here now. So, what we have here is a, a two-story house. Nice. Uh, what you would expect, I think, for a for a cone radio presenter. And now let's just uh, just come up here. Okay. Uh, actually, looking a little bit. Uh, it's a bit cobwebby, and uh, there are no. There's a sort of a carport there. It's absolutely, totally. Empties, it's just bare. It's just uh, so. This is um, so. Let's just take a, a look around here. I'm just going to take a look through this window. That uh, seems to be the kitchen. Hello, Bill Lawrence. Bill, hello, Bill. Just uh, we're going around here. There's a kind of a little patio thing. It's uh, Looks like uh, that hasn't been. Uh, nobody's. Um, let's have a look over here. Um, we've come round to the side of the house, and uh, let's just take a look here. Hello, hello, hello. No, it all. It all seems to be. Uh, just seems to be locked up, and uh, and uh, yeah. Bill, we're looking for Bill Lawrence, yeah. Uh, Bill. Lawrence. No? Oh. I see. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks. Well, sorry. Uh, this uh, nobody, nobody by that name has uh, apparently has lived here. So I think we may have. Uh, we may have come to the wrong house. So, um, right, well, we'll be back again. We'll be back again later when we, when we find where it is that he does live.
It's eight o'clock on a March evening. I'm at a darts match at the Alehouse pub in Colchester. It's cold, wet and windy outside. The last spit of winter and the brisk walk across Abbey Fields has given me a thirst. But despite these ides of March blowing with a stubborn determination, I'm about to enjoy a great evening out. Indeed, as the legendary darts TV commentator Sid Waddell would suggest, I'm about to watch a quality game. And that's quality with a capital K. Inside, the coziness of the bar soon warms me up. The dartboard is at one end of the long, polished and glistening bar as both teams arrive, set up their first drinks and set their arrows for their first practice throws. Pauline, landlady of the Owl House and their team captain, sits with David, captain of opponents this evening, the Newtown Tavern A-team. They're making the draws for the matches this evening. Tonight's fixture is in the Colchester and District Darts League Division 3. And the season has been long and hard fought. This is the 12th round of games since last September, seven months ago. And fate has decreed that tonight's result could give either side the division title. There will be nine games this evening, three pairs and six singles. And each game will be won over the best of three legs. 5-0-1 straight in and double out. Tonight's barmaid is Anne. Herself, a veteran of Thursday and Friday night league games, she commands her bar with expertise, ensuring glasses are refilled with unruffled skill and speed. The Alehouse Darts team is a mixed team dressed in their uniform black sleeveless shirts with pink piping around the collar and on the back their team name stands boldly in the same pink. And they warm up with easy camaraderie, stepping up in turn to the Oki a white line on a black rubber strip map which is exactly seven foot nine inches and a quarter of an inch from the central bull's eye of the board as per the standard British dart organization rules. The board itself checkered and segmented in white green red and black is surrounded by a wide ring of black rubber and proudly inscribed on this in white is the pub name. It's bathed in a bright white light in contrast to the softer lighting elsewhere. The first game begins. 5-0-1 straight in, double out, and it's a pairs match, doubles. Players step up to the hockey and turn without pause or fuss. Each trio of darts is thrown quickly and approval is passed from team members with shouts of good shot which are given with equal delivery to opponents and teammates. On the blackboard, mental maths is undertaken with impressive agility and accuracy and without hesitation. As the games progress, there is some tension, yet I feel the atmosphere to be very comfortable despite its competitiveness. As games are won and lost, hands are shaken and congratulations offered. It's a well-run routine for those involved and there's an easy affection for each other's performance and contribution. At one point, Pauline reappears, carrying trays of hot roast potatoes, steaming and fluffy whiteness inside and crispy crackling on the outside. These match the warm atmosphere. Anne continues to bustle back and forth, commanding and replenishing glasses. Slowly the pendulum points to victory for the visitors tonight. surprise of our glory days. I hate to turn up out of the blue uninvited, but I couldn't stay away. I couldn't fight it. I had hoped you'd see my face and that you'd be reminded that for me, it isn't over. 
The Wall of Radio Sound with Bill Lawrence, Adrian Cohen and Ian Tallentire. It was no surprise to those who were following the twists and turns of Bill's life that by the end of the 1980s Bill was setting himself new goals and new challenges. He had been concerned about climate change for some time and urged on by his conscience, Bill arrived in East Africa to meet representatives from governments and NGOs to set up a carbon neutral and non-party political scheme to irrigate the Sudan. This project was notable for its philanthropic approach to the granting of building contracts with almost all contracts awarded to the most deserving local King Rashid. Bill's scheme to irrigate the Sudan appeared to be a great success. Soon, thousands of acres of land that had been too dry to farm were fertile once more. Where there had been dust and emptiness were now industrial-sized salmon fisheries. But then fate once more stepped in and bowled Bill an unplayable googly. One of the most important politicians involved in the project, local King Rashid, remembered how when he had attended the derby at Royal Ascot as a sixth form student at Eton, he had met Lady Davina Price in the members' enclosure. They briefly had lived together until a tired and confused Lady Davina Price had taken and driven the young prince's brand new Jaguar late one night and smashed it into a lamppost. And now the king was working on the irrigation project alongside Bill's consultancy holding company now managed by Lord David Price, the very same Lady Divina post-operation. Within hours of this realization by King Rashid, all financial support for Bill's plan to irrigate the Sudan was withdrawn. Another twist in the story of Bill Lawrence, and defying expectations once again, he returned to where it all had begun, back in East Anglia on local radio as a weatherman.
By the mid-1990s, Bill Lawrence was once again flourishing in his media career. From quiet beginnings, reading the weather forecasts and lottery numbers on Radio Stanway, his radio presence was growing once more. He moved swiftly into Anglia Sounds FM and then to Radio 1, where, as Simon Bates' sidekick on Sunday mornings, he introduced a hugely popular ironing on the radio game, which took the whole nation by storm. A simple premise that a pop personality or similar zany guy would iron their clothes live on the radio, with clues taken from garments being pressed and steamed, short discussions on collar creasing, cuff flattening and gusset smoothing. It was a surefire winner with listeners. Tie-in Atari, Spectrum and Nintendo 64 games were released, and a range of cuddly ironing dolls dominated the 1994 Christmas toy sales. There was even a national ironing on the radio roadshow tour of British shopping centres. Donna McStick, one of the original hostesses for the show, remembers how Bill would often give three shows per day, yet never seemed quite happy despite the critical acclaim received from The Guardian, The Radio Times and even The Church of England for the zany antics of ironing on the radio. She tells of the feelings of unity the event would bring to divided communities in flashpoints across Britain, such as Huddersfield and West Croydon. Bill and Donna soon became more than just colleagues on the most successful Sunday morning radio show in Northwestern Europe, and Bill and Donna were married as part of the 1995 Summer Spectacular Ironing on the Radio show on the Yarmouth West Pier. Donna told me how she still keeps a pair of James Blunt's pants that she kept from one show and how she might occasionally iron them even now, thinking about what might have been had Bill stayed with the show and also with her. But within months he had, with his business partner Lord David, developed the Pan Global franchises for ironing on the radio, something that also introduced him once more to royalty proper politicians and a young Elon Musk fresh out of South Africa. It was time for him to leave Donna and the security of his life with her there in Honeysuckle Towers in Norwich. Bill and Musk soon began a project called Spaceman or Woman and Bill's dream of becoming the first radio DJ in space looked set to become a reality. Right, we're uh, here live in a uh, convenience store, so the equivalent of a 7-Eleven or, uh, you know, those kind of shops. And we're told, this is just around the corner actually, although it is around the corner from the wrong house, so I'm not quite so sure about this, but uh, we're told that he comes here regularly to buy milk, eggs and bread. And so what, what we'll do is um i'm just gonna i'm gonna stand over here by the uh there's like a little thing for making coffee and uh it's quite nice really and this little japanese rice things with the uh, the crispy uh seaweed we're just gonna gonna stand here and uh and and just see if uh if uh if bill comes in to buy some eggs or bread or milk and uh, although has to be said that um, this is around the corner from what isn't his house so I'm not quite not so sure yeah. uh, yes C Cone Radio yes yeah uh, we're looking for Bill Lawrence Lawrence yeah apparently he, uh, he he might have lived in a house around the corner but uh he doesn't, but I, I still have a, a hunch that this is the place he comes to buy uh, eggs, bread, you know, um, those Japanese things. Oh, okay. Okay. Okay, well, it seems uh, they don't want me uh, standing in the shop speaking into a microphone, so um, I'm, going to, I'm going to stand outside. We'll wait outside. There's some chairs. Some chairs. We'll sit, we'll sit on those chairs. 
Okay, and we'll report back to you later when we get to meet Bill Lawrence. Box 39? What's in it then? As the whole world partied hard on Millennium Night, Bill Lawrence sat alone at his desk at Space Headquarters. He was writing his farewell note to the world, as the next day at 11am exactly, he climbed into the pilot's seat of the spacecraft he and Musk had developed. The reusable shuttle, named the Lord David Price after its main financial supporter performed perfectly that day, taking its six celebrity passengers twice around the world. Bill's words that day, as he single-handedly drove this inaugural passenger spaceflight, were broadcast globally on almost every channel known on the internet. Thanks to Lord David Price's clever and perceptive purchase of the whole internet from the American, Russian and Chinese governments a few months earlier. I have seen no God, he told the world, adding, All is going well up here, though Martin Kemp from Spandau Ballet, sitting in seat six at the back, has just been sick. Bill also told the world, listening and watching below, that from up here on the edge of space, the British Isles looks a bit like a drunken stag beetle climbing over a large piece of Lego. But this first space flight had confirmed to Bill what he had already secretly suspected, that he suffered from dangerously high levels of vertigo. Bill Lawrence's plans to explore space as an astronaut had been hideously destroyed. I miss the Earth so much, I miss my wife. It's lonely out in space. Such a timeless flight I think it's gonna be a long, long time Touchdown brings me round again to find I'm not the man they think I am at home No, 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 no I'm a rocket man Rocket man
2008, after a long silence and many years away from publicity, Bill Lawrence reappeared. These eight years are a time which Bill Lawrence has always refused to discuss, and which saw him separate permanently from his longtime business partner, Lord David Price. Looking tanned and healthy, though now with grey hair and some cosmetic surgical procedures in place, Bill began his new career as host of a new daily television programme. Filmed each day on the beach next to the TV studios in Papua New Guinea, his new show called Loose Men on the Beach proved an instant hit, and not just with local residents. Now syndicated across over a hundred community television stations across the Indonesian archipelago, Australasia and the Polynesian belt of Oceania, Bill now seems at last comfortable and content in his life. Donna from Norwich tells us that he has now made contact once more with her, so many years after he disappeared from their marriage, and that after a slow start he is now sending some of his laundry to her to be ironed with, as Donna remarked, those creases strong and bold, and just as he remembers them. What can be next for this broadcasting phenomenon, who for the last 50 years has challenged, innovated, entertained and just talked a lot? Bill Lawrence, the man who at the New Guinea TV studios is simply known as The Boss and Bill Lawrence. resort called Queen of the South on a headland overlooking the seaside village of Palantritis. It's a very gorgeous spot that we are at. Wouldn't you agree? I think that, that was the point of coming here but we're not going to go to the beach because it's not a very nice beach but later we'll be at some sort of more picturesque spots. I'm surprised that, that everyone from the village just doesn't walk straight up here. Well They'd have to pay a hundred thousand, which is how much is that? Hundred thousand, roughly six pounds, six I think, pounds. Adrian. That, to local people, that's prohibitive, and it stops all the courting couples coming up here every night and just filling up this whole space. What sea is that? I'd say it's pretty safe to say it's the Indian Ocean. Well, it is rather marvellous, marvellous colour. Is that a blue or green? That sea. A mixture of the two, I guess, depending on the uh, depth of the water as onyx. you approach the beach. I'd say onyx. It's the colour of my eyes. <laughs> then the, for the sound of the beach is possibly taupe, or a very mild salmon. I would say it's sand, actually, Bill. I'd say it's a pork chop. <laughs> but, that, but I don't think you can say that here in this country. It's provocative, isn't it, for me to have said that. If we go around here a little bit, what have we got? We've got... Uh... Well, we've got some marvellous trees, uh, best described as, as coconut trees, because I can see great big coconuts hanging from them. Yellow, uh, yellow husks, not the cartoon uh, brown shredded husk coconuts, but uh, a nice smooth skinned green. You mean the hairy one, the hairy coconut? Yeah, no, no they're, hairy they're coconuts. Old. When they get old, they get they go like that. Nice big palm trees. I found the, the weather so humid that running, a, a little jog, a couple of mornings I've done a little jog, has been very difficult because of the humidity. Not because of the heat, but the humidity. But more than I anticipated, just it's impossible to find a quiet road to jog down. <laughs> we made them say, well, let's go out early at 
10 to 7, of course, that was the school run, wasn't it? What well, time do you yeah. take your kids to what school? We were about trying, 7 o'clock? Yeah, but what we were trying to do, Bill, was to find uh, what we thought would be a quiet and cooler time to go and have a run. So left the hotel, start the little warm-up walk, break into a shuffle and a run, and all of a sudden we're confronted by motorbike after motorbike after motorbike. It's like clockwork here. At about 6.20 every morning on a, on a weekday, everybody just comes out all at the same time to go to school. And then once you get past seven, it just suddenly falls away again and, and the roads become quiet for about an hour and then all your, all your office-bound people and shop-bound people are there quarter to eight to eight o'clock. But it, was, it wasn't really just the traffic, was it? It was the humidity, the temperature... And then, worst of all, trying to catch your breath in between torrents of two-stroke exhaust, yeah. <laughs> which uh, certainly did, did me in for uh, trying to take a deep breath and uh, maintain my pace. Yeah. I don't know, what did you feel about the, uh, the pollution levels as you were trying to get your exercise? Well, as you know, gentlemen, my body is a temple. Yeah. Uh, but it has, it's been slightly tainted by... Uh, I feel I can feel a layer on my lungs. I think of of um, exhaust fume and stuff. What kind of temple would that be then? Would that be a Buddhist or a, or a Hindu one? We, I, I see you've been adding a dome these last couple of years. <laughs> I thought that was, <laughs> that was somewhat unfair. I feel well, like. I didn't you know what I'm referring that, to. Actually, I didn't think you noticed that. And my body is a temple, and uh, we leave it at that. It's a temple by invite only. Okay. Well, that's right. You should be on local radio. <laughs> well, I would say, as regards to Temple Bill, old and well-preserved. And with a great pair of doors on the front. Loads of people have had a look and then gone. <laughs> but, but always paid their 337,500 oh rupees. Oh right, here I am in Jakarta International Airport in uh, one of the departure lounges. There are three terminals, one of them domestic and two of them international. And we understand that Bill Lawrence does a lot of international travel. And when he flies in and out of the country, he goes via Jakarta Airport. So we thought we would uh, we'd come to the departure lounge, one of the departure lounges, the, the one that we think is the most likely and wait in the well not in the lounge because obviously we can't get into the departure lounge but into the departure area there are 56 gates and we're going to wait here and if Bill Lawrence does some international travel from, from Jakarta International Airport and, and from this terminal and from one of the gates that we can see easily from here then we will be here to talk to him, which has been our goal all along. We went to a house that was very similar to the house that he lives in, and we also went to a, a shop that uh, was around the corner. And now, I think, if you consider how much international travel that Bill Lawrence does by plane from this country, hopefully from this airport, and also hopefully from this terminal and from one of the gates that we can see, then I think there is a very, very good chance that we're going to get to meet Bill Lawrence in the... Uh, oh, no. What's that? Oh, it's, it's a security guard. Hang on. This has been Holding Back the Beers, a Box 39 special looking at the life and music of Bill Lawrence, with me, Adrian Cohen, here at Cohen Radio. Join us again next time as we open Box 39 once more. Bring me sunshine in your smile Bring me laughter all the while in this world where we live there should be more happiness so much joy you can give to each brand new bright tomorrow make me happy through the years 
bring me any tears Let your arms be as warm as the sun from up above Bring me fun, bring me sunshine, bring me love Bring me sunshine in your smile Bring me laughter all the while In this world where we live There should be more happiness So much joy you can give To each brand new bright tomorrow Make me happy Through the years Never bring me Any tears Let your arms be as warm As the sun from up above Bring me fun Bring me sunshine Bring me love, sweet love Bring me fun Bring me sunshine Bring me love Hey! Box 39 has been a Guppy production for Corn Radio.